But today is our dedication Sunday. The conclusion of the service will be uh, dedicating some of our young people to the Lord. We've opened it up to our families to uh, come and to publicly commit to raise their young people and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and looking forward to that here in just a few moments. But uh, first, we need to get into the Word, so if you would take your Bible out this morning, turn to the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 10, have a lot going on today, and so we're going to jump right in if that's okay. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you, as Brother Nate mentioned a moment ago. Hope you've been made to feel welcome. <clears throat> 2 Chronicles chapter 10, remain seated this morning if you don't mind, and do to remind you that tonight we also are going to segue from our dedication Sunday service this morning uh, to our family date night tonight. This is our first annual family date night. We're inviting all of our families who have, who have already registered, if you haven't, I guess, is that still open or not, or is it closed? Registration is still open. If you'd like to come, go on our app, and what we'll be doing tonight is for our families who have 7th through 12th graders, we'll be meeting in the gymnasium, and we're going to feed you, and what we're going to do is have a constructive conversation uh, out of the Word of God on relationships. And I'm looking forward to that uh, as our parents navigate these treacherous years with teenagers, we want to help equip them to know God's will for uh, the future home of their children. And uh, that's our burden tonight. Looking forward to that. Hopefully help equip our families in that area. We'll also be having, if you do not have a 7th through 12th grader, we'll have a service in here at 5 o'clock as well. Second Chronicles chapter number 10. Look down to verse 1. Remain seated today if you don't mind. I'm going to read several verses and I want you to follow along with me. <clears throat> the Bible says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for to Shechem were all Israel come to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who was in Egypt, whither he had fled from the presence of Solomon the king, heard it that Jeroboam returned out of Egypt. And they sent and called him. So Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore ease thou somewhat the grievous servitude of thy father and his heavy yoke that he put upon us, and we will serve thee. And he said unto me, Come again unto me after three days. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men that had stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, saying, What counsel give ye me to return answer to this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou be kind to this people, and please them, and speak good words to them, they will be thy servants forever. Watch verse 8. But he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him, and took counsel with the young men that were brought up with him that stood before him. And he said unto them, What advice give ye that we may return answer to this people which have spoken to me, saying, Ease somewhat the yoke that thy father did put upon us? And the young men that were brought up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou answer the people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it somewhat lighter for us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. For whereas my father put a heavy yoke upon you, I will put more to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king bade, saying, Come again to me on the third day. And the king answered them roughly. And King Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the old men and answered them after the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add thereto. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you 
with scorpions. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I thank you this morning for all that we've read. Now, Lord, there's so much good truth there that we need to hear today. I thank you for what you've given me to preach, and Lord, my heart is full, but Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to be confusing in how we say what you'd have us to say, but help us be concise, and Lord, I pray you'd lead us through your spirit, Lord, to say exactly what you'd have us to say the way you'd have us to say it. I pray for our homes and families today, Lord, as we come to this dedication Sunday. Lord, it's not just about the children, it's about the family, and Lord, I pray you'd help us to see your plan and your will for how we give direction Lord, to the next generation. Help us as a church support our young people and guide them, Father, in the ways you'd have them to go. Bless most of all if there's one lost here today that they would see and find their way to the cross. Be saved today before it's too late in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've mentioned many times before that when we read the Word of God, and I'm thankful that God preserved for us His Word so clearly in so many different accounts that we can see ourselves in it is what God desires. He desires that when we read the Word of God and we read different accounts of different people and different situations that we would compare ourselves to them because inevitably all of us are going to be at those same places in our own lives. So may go back to the, to the book of Genesis. We read Adam and Eve, and here Adam and Eve know what God's will is, that uh, they live in this perfect world he's created and leave alone the things that God has said leave alone. And yet they are now tempted to go against what God says because they desire that fruit, that desire to be wise and to be made wise. And so now Adam and Eve have to decide, do I obey God or do I yield to my desires? Have you ever been there? I've been there many times. I know what God says, and yet my desires want something different. And I have to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to obey God or am I going to yield to desire? Watch this. God has some help for us. He preserved the account of Adam and Eve for us to see what happens when we yield obedience to desire. And God says, I want you to learn from them. And I want you to draw a comparison from them. And then through that comparison, you make a correction. And all throughout the word of God, we have so many, the Bible says, examples of how other people lived, situations they faced, and God says, see what they did, see how it turned out, and you make the change in your own life. Isn't that convenient? You know, the Bible's kind of like the YouTube of old, right? We have questions today, what do we do? We go to YouTube. I mean, I can't believe it. Uh, I used to drive a car that I worked on because I watched a YouTube video. I put my family's life in the hands of some man I've never met who showed me how to change out the CDC axles on my car. And it, hey, it was running on grace, amen? Thank God for grace, because that's what kept that thing going down the road. I referred to someone else's experience and it helped me get further down the road. Now, thanks be to God, all these years later, God has preserved his word for us. And God wants us to open up the pages as we go throughout our life to get down the road of life and refer to these other people's experiences. I mean, for our young ladies, we have Esther there. Think about it. Esther shows us how to be faithful instead of being fearful. Have you ever been fearful about doing what God said do? Yeah. Look, that's not just for ladies. That's for men too. God says, hey, go look at Esther. She'll show you how to be faithful when you're tempted to be fearful. Or maybe Daniel. Has it ever been hard for you to be obedient when you were the only one? God says, go look at, go look at Daniel. 
He said, I preserve for you an account of Daniel. So you take counsel from the word of God and you learn how to make corrections in your own life. Well, today we're going to look at at one that maybe we don't read about a whole lot, but Rehoboam has something very important for us today. Solomon has died. If you'll look back, chapter number nine, look down, if you will, verse number 31. The Bible says, and Solomon slept with his fathers and he was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his stead. So Solomon has died, and his son Rehoboam has come back to assume the throne. Now, can you imagine what great responsibility comes with being a king? I know what it's like to be king of my house, and that's hard. I'm not a chauvinist, okay? I'm just picking. I know what it's like to be a dad and a husband of having two people. Can you imagine being a king reigning over a kingdom? So here's Rehoboam assuming the throne, and now what does the king have to do? The king has to look after the country, protect it, give it guidance, and maintain the country. So those are things we know that he had to do. But do you know there was something that Rehoboam was about to do that is probably more important than all of the other things that the king was required to do. Do you know what it was? He's about to establish the culture of his kingdom. The culture. Not only is the king responsible to provide and to protect and to give guidance and to maintain the country, the king is also responsible for setting the culture. Now, what is the culture? Well, I'll never forget uh, Miss Gibbs' class in, uh, in third grade. I remember her saying that the culture is the way of life for a a particular group of people, all right? The culture is your heart, your mindset, the way you think, the direction you're going to go. And the king is about to establish or decide that culture for an entire kingdom of people. The other day, I took Miley to a Pelicans playoff game in New Orleans, and it's amazing to me that an hour and a half down the road, There is an entirely different culture of people, all right? If you're from there, I'm not knocking it. I love the food, by the way. Beignets and rice and sausage. I mean, if it swims or flies, it dies, and they put it in a pot, and they eat it. It's good. Alligator po' boy at the game, jambalaya, etouffee. Oh, my goodness. It's wonderful. They even have their own dialect down there. The lady, I'm talking to the lady at the gate before we got into the Pelicans game, and I said, you got to slow down. Or understand what you're talking about, you know? They have their own culture, their own way of life, all right? Somebody established that down there. Now, that's what the king is about to do. The king is about to establish the culture, the mindset, the heart, the direction for an entire nation. You say, well, why are you telling us that? Well, believe it or not, this king is going to give us a little bit of insight in what the responsibility we have as parents and as families. Now, what are responsibilities of a parent? Well, we know that. To provide for our children, we got to feed them. And God bless you parents who are some of these kids' parents. Their feet are like that big. I hate to have your grocery bill. We have to provide for them. We have to feed them, all right? We have to put braces on their teeth so they have nice straight teeth so, uh, you know, they can rot out for not brushing them after they get married, We provide education. We provide college for them. We know all of these things are what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to protect them, right? Yeah, I'm a dad of a daughter. You better believe I'm going to protect her. I double-dog dare you, young man. I'm just going to put it out there. (laughs) But what you may not realize this morning as a parent is just like this king, 
one of the most valuable things you will ever do for your child or for the people, the young people that God brings into your life. I know, look, sometimes in today's, in today's culture, grandparents, you're raising kids. Aunts and uncles, you're raising kids. You have influence there. And you know one of the greatest influences you're going to have? It's not providing them braces and food in college. It's not just protecting them. You are establishing their culture their mindset, their heart, their way of life. This is why the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Now, what is a culture? It's the way of life. The Bible says as a parent, God has given us the awesome responsibility and the sacred task of training them up in the way. That means the culture. It's our job, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt or uncle. It's our job to establish the way or the culture for our children. Now, what's sad this morning is in the Christian circle, we have lost our way. We have lost our way when it comes to the culture of a Christian home and of a godly home and of the way a home is supposed to be. By the way, the home was God's invention. So God gets to define what it is. So God says, when I want you to train them up in the way, he's saying my way, all right? He didn't say train them up in a way that you like. He says train them up in the way and the way belongs to the one who designed it. And he says, that's my way. All right? He didn't say train them up in a way they could go. He says train them up in the way they should go. That means, watch this, the word should is very important because it means there is a way they should be going. All right? Not a way, the way God designed that. I want to show you a picture right quick. There's a show we like to watch at home. We started watching it when Amani was, was really little. Uh, some of you back from the 1950s and 60s recall a show called Leave It to Beaver. Any of y'all remember seeing that? I have a picture of the Cleavers here I want to show you this morning. Uh, they were your typical, somewhat above average nuclear family in America. Do we have that picture, guys? We have the, 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 the Cleaver family, you know, you had Wally uh, and you have the Beave uh, and they grew up on this nice little street uh, going down the road, you know, a nice little family. And yet 70 years later, do, are our pictures going to work this morning, guys? Maybe not. 70 years later, we have a new picture of what a family is according to the United States of America. All right. Did you know, I have a picture for you, if they can get it pulled up. I'm going to talk while they're working on that. Brother Bo did this. That means keep talking while he gets the picture ready. All right, so I have no problem keeping talking, okay? I can do that. That's what I do for a living. So we went from the Cleaver family, Wally, you know, June, you had the Cleaver family, your typical nuclear family in America, and yet now Apple just released on your iPhone, all right, if you have an iPhone, look at the new emojis on the iPhone, and on the iPhone, we now have the emoji of a pregnant man. A pregnant man, look on your iPhone if you've got the new update, it's on there, it's on mine, all right? Throw your phone out the window, I guess, okay? A pregnant man. Parenting Today magazine said that Apple is doing that to reflect the fact that women are not the only ones who can now become pregnant. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm just a country boy from South Mississippi. I sat there and read that article and read that article and read that article, and I still didn't figure it out. What happened? What happened that we go from the cleavers, 
the nuclear family, a dad, a mom, and children who obeyed their parents, to now where we have emojis of, of pregnant men. You know that's not biologically possible, don't you? All right? Now, hear me out. I'm not being mean. But I want you to see how far we've shifted. The Christian family, we've lost track of that. We're not even clear what a family is anymore. And I want to tell you, a lot of the erosion took place in the hearts and lives and homes of God's people. All right? It's fuzzy for us. We are suffering this morning from a conflict of culture. We have the culture that we knew and a culture that is now. And we're having to decide which culture we're going to live by. Now, folks, this is important. I want you to hear me out this morning. We are confused. We are confused about what a home looks like and how children should be raised. We're confused on that. It's like the young man who was on a college campus one day, and one of his professors passes him out there on the, the lawn, and he had a shirt with a large K on it. The professor walked up and he says, could I just ask you a question, random question? He says, sure. What does the K stand for? He says, the K stands for confused. He says, well, you don't spell confused with a K. He says, well, you don't know how confused I am. <laughs> That's really confused. And yet, worse than that this morning, is that God's people are confused about the home, about the family. Do you know why? We've allowed the culture to creep in. The culture's creeped in. By the way, God is just as clear today on the family, the husband, the wife, and the children as he ever was. God's not confused. It's still clear to him. But in order for us to see it clearly, we have to look through the lens of God's word. So this morning, we're going to look at this very simple topic of clarity for the culture crisis. Clarity for the culture crisis. They're going to work on your notes, but until then, you're just going to have to pay attention, all right? Clarity for the culture crisis. Let's learn from Rehoboam. Now, look back down, if you will, to chapter 10. Rehoboam's about to show us what to do, watch this, by showing us what not to do. You know, you can learn a lot from people who do things wrong. And you see where it leads them, and you decide, I don't want that to happen to me. So what's happening in chapter 10, verse 1, 2, and 3? The advisors are coming to him, and they're asking him, how are you going to lead? What's the culture going to be? Now that your King Solomon is dead, his culture has died, and now that Rehoboam is king, what are you going to do, and how are you going to lead? Now, this is important this morning. The advisors say, look, you should lower the taxes and lighten the load. The old man says, amen, right? We should lower the taxes and lighten the load. But keep reading. Now Rehoboam has a decision to make. The Bible says in verse 14, well, actually, look down to verse number 10. I'm sorry, let's go to verse 8. I want you to see all of this today. I've got a lot to say, but I'm going to try to condense it as quick as we can, make it as clear as we can. Verse 8 says, rather than listen to them, but he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him. Rather than listen to the advice to make the load lighter and taxes lower, verse 14 says, and he answered them after the advice of the young men saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add thereto. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Now, what decision did Rehoboam make? He's having to decide the culture of a kingdom. What decision did he make? He made the decision that he was directed to do. Now, this is important. Why did he make this decision? Well, the Bible says in verse number 10, that's what the young men told him that he needed to do. This is what you've got to see. Number one this morning, culture is a matter of direction. 
All right? Culture's a matter of direction. You say, what are you getting at? Rehoboam's direction wasn't an accidental direction. Rehoboam's direction was an advised direction. He went in the direction that he was given by the young men. Now, why is that important to us this morning? His direction that he chose was a direct reflection of the direction that he was given. Now, here, let's bring it home to us this morning. I don't think you're catching it just yet, but we will in a moment. We can't complain about the direction our young people are going if we're not giving them direction in another way. All right? We complain about the culture that we're living in, and we complain about the direction of our kids, but we're not giving direction to our kids. All right? Don't be surprised if they heed advice from the only one in the room telling them which way to go. Now, you say, well, he got two versions of directions. I'll explain that to you here in point number two. Glad you asked. I'll show you in a moment. Hold your horses, all right? Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15. The Bible says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now, what does it mean a child left to himself? A child that's not given direction. Right? You can't complain about where they end up if you did nothing to turn them from that direction. By the way, did you notice who God's holding accountable? It says, bringeth his mother to shame. By the way, that's mother or father, but it's the authorities that God put in their life. Could I tell you this morning, parent, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, whoever you may be, if God has placed a young person within your care, God will hold you accountable for the direction that they go. He says, it bringeth his mother to shame. By the way, notice it didn't say bring the village to shame. Our president just this week, speaking to the teachers of the year at the White House, said this, they're not someone else's children, they're our children. I beg to differ. God did not give my child to President Biden to raise or to the government to raise. God gave that child to me to raise. God's going to hold me accountable to that. And this morning, we've got to understand that the direction of our young people, the culture of our young people is for us to decide and for us to set. Now, don't miss this this morning. We complain. Oh, we do. We complain about the direction of our kids, but we're not giving direction to our kids. He said, well, I'm telling them the problem is culture speaking louder than you are. Culture speaking louder than you are. Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says in verse 4, And you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now notice the first verse we talked about mothers, now it's talking about fathers. Notice who God's holding accountable. Fathers. I love two words in there. It says bring them. Fathers, you bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Can I tell you something about my daughter? Where's she at? She's in here somewhere this morning. Or I don't know where she's at. She's just always floating around, upstairs, downstairs, bus, church. I don't know where she's at. She may just went home after she played the piano. <laughs> Who knows? Can I tell you, when, I, when we were raising Miley, we had never been parents before, but we're still accountable for that. There were times that I was trying to lead her and she didn't necessarily want to be brought. The Bible says as a father, it's my job to bring them up. Sometimes, could we all agree, our kids don't want to be brought, do they? But you bring them anyway. Why? Because God's going to hold you accountable. It's your job to establish culture 
And when Rehoboam is establishing the culture, he did exactly what he was directed to do. Now, why is that important? Well, oftentimes, here's the problem. We use this phrase, and I've heard it many times. I don't want to make my child come to church. I've heard it by so many people who are not in church today. I was made to go to church when I was a kid, and I'm not going to go to church now. I bet you don't brush your teeth either, do you? I was made to brush my teeth as a child. Let's be honest. Sounds like an awful convenient excuse not to come to church. Mom and dad made me brush my teeth. Oh, my goodness. Mom and dad, as a kid, made me take a bath. We were watching Beaver the other day. He's like, well, I took a bath last week. You're wondering, what? I, I already took one, you know, or in the summer, I swam in a pool. Why do I have to get a bath after I just swam in bleach water? Still doesn't make sense to me, but mom and dad made me take a bath. So because mom and dad made me take a bath when I was a kid, I'm not taking a bath now. No, not at all. Mom and dad made me eat my vegetables. Mom and dad made me study. But for some reason, when it comes to church, I don't want to make them. Do you know when you make your child brush their teeth and take a bath and eat their vegetables, it's not really about the teeth or the bath or the vegetable. Do you know what you're really teaching them? obedience. And the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All right? He said, well, I want them to do it from their heart. I do too. But until they do it from their heart, they better do it from their head. He said, well, I just don't believe that's right. Let me give an example. Abraham was, was told by God, Abraham, don't you take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Your only son. Tell me Abraham understood why. He did not. God, you told me I would have a son. He would be the heir. And through him, we'd have the, the, the heritage like the sands of the seashore. And now you want me to go on this mountain and kill him? That doesn't make sense to me. Watch this. Abraham did not understand why, but he did know what. And therefore, he just obeyed what he knew to do until he figured out the why. If you wait for your child to figure out all the whys that they should be obedient, they're going to bring shame to your life. All right? When I was a little kid, I didn't know what the whole point of brushing my teeth was. What's the point? I don't know. It's just what dad said do. So I'm going to do it. Why? Because I just didn't want to get a whooping. Later, I found out as a grown man, it's expensive to get these things fixed. Now I do it myself. Why? Because I learned the why later. But it's important to teach them just to obey the what until they learn the why. Why? Because number one, culture is a matter of direction. If you don't give them direction, I assure you someone else will. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. He's giving us the responsibility to establish the culture in our life. So what did Rehoboam do as far as this decision on culture? His culture reflected his coaching. His culture reflected his coaching. Matter of fact, what did the young men say to them? Look down. Watch, look at verse 10. And the young men that brought up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus thou shalt answer the people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it somewhat lighter for us. Watch this. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My fingers shall be thicker than my father's loins. For whereas my father put a heavy yoke upon you, I will put more to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. All right, so that's what the young men say. What did Rehoboam say? Well, look at verse 14. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add there too. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise. Sounds familiar. Where did Rehoboam get that from? His culture was reflected by his coaching. 
Do you know what our young people are going to reflect? Coaching. Coaching. You know, we're not, you know, we may not be the smartest people in the world, but you can watch somebody's life for a while and tell where they're getting their coaching from. There's no doubt where Rehoboam was getting coached from. Why? Because, hey, what he's doing is matching what these guys over here are saying. His culture reflected his coaching. Can I tell you, Mom and Dad, you are your child's coach. You're their coach. Now, it's sad that we get more fired up about them not playing ball right and hitting a foul ball. And all. It's sad that we get more riled up about those things that are not going to matter in all of eternity than we do about how to live for the Lord and keep themselves pure and to walk with God. We don't get fired up about that. When was the last time you got after your child? Hey, we've got to read your Bible. Come on, make sure you're in your Bible. Coach them up. I promise you, culture's going to coach them. Commercials are just pouring it into our children. They're coaching them up. And the culture of our young people is reflected by the fact that they're being coached by the world. And here Rehoboam sits doing exactly what he was coached to do. And yet Proverbs 13, 24, the Bible says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. That means many times. Now, it doesn't mean chasing, okay? I told you before, there were times my daddy chased me. You know, he's holding my hand, and he's kind of giving me a paddling. He's chasing me, man. Just ring around the rose. He's chasing me. That's not what we're talking about. Chastening means to correct and to give instruction. The Bible says when you spare that instruction, that guidance, the Bible says it's the same as hating your son. Proverbs 23, 13. The Bible says withhold not correction from the child. That means somebody's got to point and give them direction. But we're living in a world today that's not popular. Why? Because our children need to be free to express themselves. Can I tell you something about your child? Because I can tell you something about mine. Because I can tell you something about me. Because I can tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 that your child's heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. You're thinking, well, I am never coming back to this church again. You just called my child wicked. I didn't. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, okay? All right? If you get mad at me for telling the truth, look, like the Reese's commercial, not sorry. Hear me out. My child, oh, she can look nice and sweet and play the piano and all of this, but I'll tell you, she's got a heart in her this deceitful and desperately wicked. The Bible says that in that beautiful little child that was born over 15 years ago, that she came with a little gift that I didn't want. So what is that? The Bible says inside her heart was bound foolishness. It was bound in there. I didn't have to teach. Hey, did you have to teach your kid how to be foolish? (laughs) They come pre-wired for foolishness. It's in there. It's bound in there. And it's my job as a parent to drive it far from them. Why? Because God says, I'm holding you accountable to give them direction. The culture of our children is a matter of direction. But then number two, let's answer the question you asked a moment ago. He said, well, he got good advice from the old men. The Bible says in verse number six, he took counsel with the old men. That it stood before Solomon, his father. He asked them, what do I do? They said in verse number seven, be kind to this people. Please them, speak good words to them. They will be thy servants forever. But the Bible says he chose to forsake that, and he went with the counsel of the young men. Now, I want you to notice why. Look down at verse eight. But he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him 
and took counsel. You got to see this, okay? He took counsel with the young men that were brought up with him that stood before them. Please hear this. He chose to obey the counsel of those that he knew best. He chose to accept the direction and the culture for an entire nation based on those which verse 8 says were brought up with him and that stood before him. These men were close to him. These men spent time with him. These men cared for him. And these were men he cared for. And Solomon sold out an entire nation because of the counsel of a few friends that were close to him. Now hear me out. Number two, let's get some clarity on the culture crisis. Number two, culture is a matter of affection. Affection. Rehoboam's way of life was influenced by those that were involved in his life. Now I want you to, I want to say it again. I want you to let this sink in. Rehoboam's way of life, his culture that would define a nation's culture, his way of life was directly influenced by those who had invested in his life and were involved in his life. Now, this is important this morning. The lesson we've got to learn from this is what you learn to love will teach you how to live. What you learn to love will teach you how to live. Please hear this. If you don't get any other point, get this number two, okay? Stick with me here. What does the Bible say in John chapter 14, 15? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So keeping commandments, you know what that is? That's a way of life, right? Obeying God, obedience, that's a way of life. That's how we live. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, what is going to motivate that way of life? It's what you love. If you love me, Keep my commandments. So what we love influences how we live. What does the Bible say? Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, you're supposed to, your culture, your way of life should be to give of yourself for your spouse, for your wife. The Bible says you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself. So our culture, our way of life as husbands is supposed to be give ourselves for our wives. What motivates that? Husbands, love your wives. You see, it's loving them that motivates how we live for them. What does the Bible say? Paul said this, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. It's the fact that I love Christ and Christ loves me. It's that love that constrains me. That means establishes my boundaries. There's things I can do and I cannot do all because I love Christ and because Christ loves me. And so because of that love, it affects how I live my life. Now, how does this go back to Rehoboam? Stick with me. What you love is going to influence how you live and the reason our young people are living the way they're living, it's because of things that we as their parents have allowed them to fall in love with. Let that sink in. The reason our culture is the way it is in the United States of America is because our young people have fallen in love with the world and what they love is determining how they live. 
the world has more active role in our children's life than we do. It's a fact. Why? Look at their culture. They're living out the world's culture, not ours. Now, I want you to look back to verse 8 and see some very particular words, okay? The Bible says, but he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men, watch this, that were brought up with him. They were brought up with him. They were a part of his life. They were around him all the time. It was a part of his daily culture. And therefore, he had developed a love for them. And because he loved them, he chose the culture and the way of life for an entire nation. Could I beg you of something this morning, mom and dad? Be careful what's being brought up with them. Be careful. Be careful. Look, if your kids are getting more FaceTime than FaceTime, they're going to fall in love with this culture. And watch this, they're going to live by what they love. And one day you're going to say, well, what's the matter? I gave you everything you wanted. You wanted a bike, I got you a bike. You wanted braces, I got your braces. You wanted whatever, and I gave you all of that. And yet you went this way. It's because what you allowed to be brought up with them. The Bible says evil communications corrupt good manners. If we want to change how our young people live, we've got to change what they love. And can I say this to my own defense this morning? There's no preacher on the planet in an hour and a half on a Sunday morning can outweigh what you put before them the other six days of the week. Don't you dare come stick your finger in my face one day and say, man, you pushed them away. You pushed them away. It's all your fault. Oh, but you had them six days a week. I had them for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. That was just about it. You see, you can't bring them up with the world. What does the Bible say in verse number eight? Look at the second part of that. They were brought up with him that stood before them. You can't put all of this garbage of the world in front of your child and expect for them to turn out right. They're going to fall in love with that. And they're going to fall in love with that. And one day they're going to break your heart because they're going to live based on what they loved. And I want to tell you something. We have nobody to blame but ourselves. Because we didn't want to put our foot down. We didn't want to hurt little Johnny and Susie's heart by telling them no, they couldn't have a phone. Or no, they couldn't watch that. They couldn't go there. They couldn't listen to that. Because who likes being unpopular? If you like being unpopular, surrender to the ministry. Amen? It's, it's a job well suited for that desire. And yet we look at Rehoboam. His culture was decided by the counsel that he got. His counsel was decided by the people that he loved, the people that were closest to them, the people that were in front of him all the time. I'll tell you something that's interesting. Oftentimes, I feel like one of the old men. All right? Now, I know my hair's falling out and all that, okay? Uh, some of it's turning gray. But I feel like one of the old men. I don't stand a chance. Look, you say, preacher, I need you to go talk to my young person. I don't stand a chance. I'm one of the old men. I don't stand a chance. Why? Because you're asking me in a 30-minute meeting in my office to turn this kid around when the other six days a week, what you have before them, there's no way. There's no way. Folks, listen to me. Culture is a matter of affection. Our children are going to follow what they love. Therefore, we've got to put something in front of them that they can fall in love with that's going to lead them to be more like Christ. What did the Bible say in the Old Testament? It says, you train them when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you sit down. What did it say? Put God in front of them. Put God in front of them. 
Folks, if you don't hear me out this morning, look, you don't have to listen. You don't ever have to come back and you can disagree. But one day you're going to end up just like Lot. Lot put Sodom in front of his kids. The Bible says, Lot, by the way, Dad, it's your decision where you pitch the tent of your life. The Bible says he pitched it towards Sodom, a wicked, wicked, immoral city. And he pitched his tent toward that. Watch, every morning his kids got up, walked out the tent, guess what they were looking at? Sodom. Sodom. He put that before them. Before them. All of a sudden, God's fixing to rain down judgment. Lot goes to his children and begs his daughters to leave. The Bible says they laughed at him. They laughed at him. Why? They laughed at him because the world that he had put in front of them had now betrayed him. He gave them everything that they wanted. They had, they had all, the, all the trappings of this life. and all. I'm sure they had the latest everything, and yet they missed out on what they needed, and that was direction from their father. Watching Andy Griffith the other day, and they were trying to sober up old Otis. You gotta love Otis. The loaded goat, I think, is my favorite. That goat eats the dynamite, you're gonna go blow up. And they're trying to sober up Otis, and every time Otis comes back into the jail, he's drunk again. And they, they went and they went to his house, and they opened the refrigerator, they got all the stuff out, poured it out, and they're like, huh, problem solved. Otis comes in the next day, he's drunk. They're like, ugh. So they go to his house, go to the garage, they find more in the garage, they get it, dump it out, comes the next day, he's drunk again. Come to find out, Otis had that stuff hit all over the house. And Andy said something on the line of, we're never going to get him sober as long as this stuff is everywhere. He even had some hit in his wife's potted plant. You know, picked up the plant, and there was a bottle down in there. I know none of you would do that, right? Amen. That's an easy one, all right? But that's how it is with our young people. We're losing them because we've put so much before them. It's everywhere. And we're afraid to draw a line and say, no, no. Culture is a matter of affection. If you plan on influencing your child's way of life, you better be more involved than the world is. I can tell you that. Those old men didn't stand a chance. They did not stand a chance. Why? They had grown up with these boys, and that influence had so much affection to it he wasn't going to go against it. Sold out an entire country. But number three, number three, I want you to see this. We're going to hurry. So Rehoboam tells the old men, go away, come back in three days, and uh, we'll decide what we're going to do. But here's the problem. We know this. Obviously, Rehoboam could not please everyone, could he? He, he couldn't please the old men, couldn't please the young men at the same time. It's just not possible. Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. The Bible says either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Now, here's the truth this morning. The culture of our kids will come down to who we as their parents are willing to say no to. Rehoboam sits up there on his throne. He knows in three days the old men are coming back. He knows the young men are coming back. and He's got to tell one of those guys no. Now, I hate saying no. I know you think I'm probably lying about that. I really do. I hate saying no. But if we're going to have some clarity on the culture crisis, we're going to have to see number three, culture is a matter of rejection. You're going to have to reject something. So what was the choice? And I'll hurry. We've got to have our, our dedication time, okay? What was the choice? Well, the old men told him what would work, and the young men told him what, he, what they wanted. Now let that sink in, okay? The old men says, hey, this is what will work. The young men says, hey, this is what we want. And is that not the case of what we have to choose as Christians and as parents and as a church? 
We have to decide between what works and we have to decide between what we want. Is that not what Adam and Eve had to decide? God says, hey, don't touch it. Everything will work. Leave the fruit alone. Everything will work. But they said, but I want this. But God says, this is what works, but I want this. And we know that dilemma in our heart. So here's Rehoboam trying to decide between what works and what they wanted. And here's, here's the conclusion of the whole thing. At some point, he had to decide which one he was going to go with and which one he was going to reject. I've been studying for weeks on a topic that we're talking a little bit about today and we're going to talk about tonight, about where we went wrong in American culture. Now, you talk to 50 preachers, you'll have 100 different answers of where we went wrong in America, okay? So I tried to read back what happened to the American family that we went from the cleavers to the pregnant man. How did we get here? At some point, look, we're not talking about a gradual shift. We're talking about a hard left turn to go from the cleavers to the pregnant man. And so I went through history and began studying and reading through history for weeks. And I began to notice a crossroads in the early 1900s of a great shift in American culture. It happened between the years of 1915 and 1945. If you have to ask me today, I believe this is where America went wrong you go back and you look between 1915 and 1945, you begin to notice societal shifts, the home begin to break up, divorce rates begin to skyrocket, uh, teen mothers begin to skyrocket, alcoholism among young, young men. It all seemed to have a crossroads between that section of 1915 and 1945. What was going on in the world during that time? World War I, World War II. Now hear me out, okay? I, I know it's 12:13 for those of you who are afraid to look at your watch, okay? But hear me out. During World War I and World War II, it was exactly what it says. It's a world war. Men hopped on boats and planes, went overseas to fight for freedom around the world. Thank God for that. But back home, there was trouble because we couldn't turn out what they needed fast enough to supply what they needed. And so brave women, man, Rosie the Riveters, stood up, rose up. Go make airplanes. In some cases, they made them better than the men. I'm not surprised. My wife's smarter than I am. I'm not ashamed to admit it. So watch. Dad's at war. Mom's building planes. For the first time in American history in 1940, there was an amendment to the Lanham Act. It was the first time in American history that government subsidized child care. First time in American history that we widely subsidized child care. Okay? Dad's at war, mom's building planes. Somebody's got to watch the kids. Somebody's got to watch the kids. And kids begin to, by dozens and thousands and hundreds of thousands, to be re-educated in government child care. Watch closely. Hear me out. All right? Don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you history, okay? Don't be a millennial and get mad because history is true. Dad comes home from war and dad finds... The family dynamic has changed. It's flipped. We're no longer the cleavers anymore. While mom and dad were gone, something rose up. We're going to talk about this tonight to our, our parents on the subject of dating. A phrase was coined during the 1940s entitled, The Rise of Youth Culture. To where dad was gone, mom was gone, and the teenagers, the young people, were left to figure it out for themselves. Fact. Documented fact. 
Teenagers decided what they wanted to do, how they wanted to live, how they wanted to date, what they wanted to wear. They decided it all. Dad's gone, mom's gone. And so youth culture arose in America. And one historian put it this way. He says, we went from a culture for our youth to a culture of our youth. Here's what he's saying. There was a point when parents gave their children the culture. This is who we are. This is how we live. This is what is right. This is what is wrong. That is a culture for our youth. Parents gave direction to their kids. But when the war was over, they found a new dynamic called youth culture to where now we have a culture by our youth to where now the young people are calling the shots. Do you know who those young people would grow up to be? The 1960s hippie movement. That's them. Guess who's running Washington right now? That's them. Don't get mad at me. Listen to me. This is truth this morning. What happened? We messed up God's design. We flipped the script. We messed up the order. We blew up the home of what God says. Hey, here's what a home is supposed to look like. And a husband and a wife and children. Here's the order. And it got blown up. And ever since then, we have lived under what's known as youth culture. What was Rehoboam's mistake? Youth culture. He didn't listen to the old men and the established culture of what was right. He lived by the young men and the new culture of what they wanted. Can I tell you, there's a stark difference this morning. Stark difference in what works and what we want. Most of the time, what I want usually doesn't work. But what God says works will work every time. So what do we do? What do we do? And I got to hurry. Good night. I told you I studied for weeks on this. Too much study, I guess. All right. What's the answer here? By the way, these same people who can't tell you what a woman is have now developed the Department of Disinformation. Go figure that. They're going to tell you what truth is, even though they don't know what it is. What's the answer? Well, the only way to get back to what works, hear me out, is to reject what doesn't. All right? How did we get in this mess? We got in a mess because back in the early 1920s, 30s, and 40s, we rejected what God said a family and a home and children were, but we rejected all of that. All right? And now we're in this mess where we've got pregnant men. Can I just be honest with you? Don't seem like it's working. Don't seem like it's working. So how do we get back to the place where it works again? Well, the same way we got into this. We got to reject what's not working and adopt what God says will work. And I tell you something, God has never defaulted on a promise. What God says will always work. Deuteronomy 32, 7, here's the answer. Remember the, old, the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee. Thy elders and they will tell thee. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have said. It says leave alone what worked. Leave it alone. Well, we're living in 2022. Are you saying this book is outdated? Then what on earth are we doing here? It still works. But we've got to, watch this, culture is a matter of rejection. We've got to reject what is not working. I'm afraid. Look, I love our young people. I really do. But you know what? We make them take a driver's test before we give them a car. Right? Yeah. I mean, you got to be 21 to buy a pistol. We're like, hey, can I tell you, I love our young people. But the Bible says it's our responsibility as adults and as authorities to give them direction, not to take direction from them. Look, no offense, guys, okay? Love you guys, really do. One day, look, when I'm in a nursing home, come see me, all right? And, and don't come and uh, cut off my medicine, you know, I'll, I'll die. I love them. But there's certain things they're not ready for yet. And one is leading a country. You got to be 35 to be president. All right. What is it saying? Hey, you need to let those old guys who had it figured out. By the way, all the old guys hadn't been right either. 
Well, I knew an old guy back there. He was wrong, so I'm not going to do anything the old guys did. Really? Can I tell you, you're always going to find people who do it the wrong way. Just because somebody does something the wrong way doesn't mean, matter of fact, because somebody did something the wrong way, it ought to galvanize you. You're going to do it the right way. Now, that's an excuse not to do what's right. The culture is a matter of rejection. We've got to decide this morning, do we want to accept the culture of what society wants or the culture of what God says works? Jeremiah 6 has almost become a laughing stock. Verse 16, I'm done. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see. Ask for the old paths. That's a picked on verse right there, buddy. Ask for the old paths, where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. God says it worked back then. It worked. The family worked. The country worked. The church worked. He says the old paths contain what? The good way. And yet, I'm afraid we are rejecting what works for what we want. Interesting story. I'll close with this. 1997 was the 70th anniversary of Charles Lindbergh's transatlantic flight from New York to Paris. And he has a daughter by the name of Reeve, and she was going to be there for uh, this com- uh, commemorative um, moment. And they took his Spirit of St. Louis plane, and they hung it from the ceiling of the Smithsonian. If you've ever been there, it's there. The little plane, I'm thinking, man, that guy had guts. She arrived there early on that morning with her son, Ben. They were going to let her in to see it on display before everybody else got there. And they said, we have a special treat for you. They brought in a cherry picker, like a crane, a little bucket crane. They brought in a cherry picker crane and said, we want to lift you up that you could get up there and look at your dad's plane. So they put Reeve Lindbergh, Charles Lindbergh's daughter, they put Reeve Lindbergh in the cherry picker with her son, Ben, and they lifted him up to the plane. And for the first time in her life, she got to touch her dad's plane, put her hand on the handles that her dad would open getting in and out of that plane. And she looked at her young son, Ben, and she says, Ben, isn't this amazing? Ben says, it sure is. I've never been in a cherry picker before. (laughs) I want you to think about that. He was so enamored by the present that he overlooked the past. You can get in a cherry picker any old day of the week, but you may never have that opportunity again. And I'm afraid today that we, even as adults, we are enamored by the present. Man, look at this, what's new. We can have what we want, but it's going to come at the cost of a past that God says will work. It still works. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, Sunday school teacher, whoever you are, hear me out this morning. Culture this morning is a matter of direction. God says give it. Train them. Correct them. Bring them. The God says it's on you. God says it's on you. They're not bringing you. You're bringing them. But then culture is a matter of affection. What you put in front of them and grows up with them, they're going to fall in love. And what they love is going to determine how they live. And the only way we're going to fix it is if culture is a matter of rejection. Why don't we decide this morning, let's get rid of what's not working. It's not. We've gone from the cleavers to the pregnant man. Something's not working. Why don't we say, you know what? I'm going to go back to the old paths, wherein is the good way. God says it works. And I promise you, if you'll take God at his word this morning, we can turn out some young people, like young people stand up here singing this morning. What a blessing. I hope they keep on going, but only if we give them direction. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I know we've gone long. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together.